And let me start it out simply by saying this. This message this morning is, it may cause you some discomfort. And here's why. It's kind of like a lot like going to the doctor. Okay? I'm just going to say it right now. How many of us this morning dislike visiting the doctor? Yeah, I knew I wasn't alone when I wrote that down. Okay? I knew it. Now, all of us have different reasons why we don't like to go or neglect those much-needed regular checkups. Some of us loathe sitting in the waiting room while we anxiously wait for our name to be called. And just walking through those doors and then sitting next to someone who you also know doesn't like to be there is enough for me to not want to be there. It's not a place where people generally want to be. Here's another reason, and this could be me. Let me get very personal with you. Here's why I dislike going to the doctor on a regular basis, and I don't, much to the anger of my wife. I feel as though, like, when your name is called, you're paraded through the office kind of like a child. It's a matter of your age, okay? So they'll say, go ahead and walk through that door. Oh, gee, thanks, okay. Now step on the scale, oh, but take your shoes off, right? Like, I care about the pound and a half or my weight. And then they say, sir, could you please stand up straight? We'd like to see how tall you are. Oh, you're such a tall boy. Yeah, I, I'm still tall. I'm still tall. It's like, it, I feel like I'm, I'm five every time they talk to me. And that could, that, again, if you... You take care of people's health for a living, okay? If you practice medicine, this is not a knock on you. This is a list of all my insecurities, okay? That's all we're talking about. But then comes the worst part of everything. I mean, after you get brought to the room that's kind of sterile and doesn't have much color, and you sit on the devil's table where there's only that strip of paper there for you to sit on, then, in my opinion, comes the worst part of it all, where a much more educated person walks into the room, and you know they're going to ask you a bunch of questions that I me, okay, maybe not you, really don't know how to answer because I feel like if I answer it wrong, they're going to know. Like they know more about me than I know about me because they have this chart since I was a little kid. They know everything about me. It'll go like this. Do you smoke? No. Well, I mean, I tried it once when I was 13. Should I tell you that? It's just like, dude, just be quiet. Like, no, you, no. It's like I can't help but bare my soul just in case they think I lie, right? And anyways, do you drink alcohol? Well, what does that have to do with anything? I'm not drunk now, right? I mean, I don't know what has to do anything. Are you allergic to medications? No, but I may be allergic to the one you give me. How do you know I'm not allergic to the one you're about to give me? And then I start to freak out. Before I walked in, I didn't think I could pass out for medication, but leaving here today, Mrs. Doctor, maybe I will. Here's one. So what seems to be the problem? Well, I mean, now I really don't even know anymore. I, I think I'm here because I'm allergic to medication, I guess. I don't know. And then finally, towards the end of the checkup, I hear the one statement. Listen, the one statement that I never want to hear. I don't know about you. Here's the one statement. Well, let's draw some blood to be safe. No. If you ever want to witness a 35-year-old man squeam like a 3-year-old in a chair, squirm, just come with, me, come with me to where they draw the blood. Okay? That's all I got to say. All of this, that little story to say, although I know, although I know, although I know, Regular visits to the torture office, I mean, doctor's office, are beneficial for my health. I have no problem being too busy to make that next appointment. No problem at all. I will skip it, forget about it, not even make it. So let me give you another fair warning. Today's message is kind of like a, a trip to the doctor for a checkup. James is going to take us through a spiritual checkup, and he's going to ask us some questions that we really probably know the answer to, but we don't want to answer for ourselves because we don't really want to know truth. You see, the letter of James has presented us, and it does present, the theme of the letter is a, sort of a series of tests. 
to, so for anybody who calls himself a Christian, you can, these tests are there for you to evaluate the genuineness of your faith. Okay, today we arrived in the second chapter of this letter. There are five chapters in total. And James, the kid brother of Jesus, uh, writes a letter to the early Christians around 40 AD. They're all spread out. Being a Christian is a relatively new thing because maybe just seven or eight years prior, Jesus was killed, but then he came back from the dead. So this is early on in the church's history, and people are having a hard time understanding what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean practically every day to put my faith in him, to trust in him? Today, we arrive in the second chapter, and just to make sure you get your money's worth, I'd like to take you through a spiritual checkup. Courtesy of our friend James and the Holy Spirit. Remember, I'm just a messenger. Do not get mad at me, okay? So let's start by reading in James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 14. We're going to all the way to verse 26. Sky Bible, you good? Yeah? Okay, here we go. Well, that's Thessalonians. I don't think I should read you that. Okay, 14. What good is it, my brothers, sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some of you will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Hold on, James. Take it easy. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, the person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. Let's just take a minute and pray. God, thank you for your word. Now, we know that what we are reading um, is your authoritative word. God, most of the time we read it, everything of us wants to go against it, wants to challenge it. God, would you... Would you make us just a little calm? Would you give us a little patience? Would you open our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us today? God, make us a people who love you and love others with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just like visiting that doctor's office, okay, James starts off with a really tough question. Starts off with a really tough question. And when I say hard question, tough question, I don't mean it's, it's tough because you don't know where to find the answer. It's just too difficult for you to decipher and understand. That's not why it's tough. I mean, James asks the question that many of us neglect to think about because we may not like the answer we discover. And so let me take a minute just to say, because I love you, uh, this message may cause you discomfort, kind of like 
The torture device, you know, that one thing that the nurse wraps around your arms to take your blood pressure, but it hurts a lot, so they shouldn't do that. They should figure some other way around it. It's kind of like that. This message may cause you discomfort, but that's not because of the words that I have chosen to say, because I do not speak in my own authority. I am here to speak what the Bible says. Not because of the words that I have chosen to say, and not because of how I will say what I'm about to say, but because of what God has chosen to say to his church through the writing of James. So here goes. James gives us the question to consider, and here is the question. Right off the bat, to start everything, what good is it if you say you have faith in Jesus, yet you have done nothing to prove it? Can that faith save you? That's his question. You can ask it this way. What good is it if you say you were a Christian, yet you have never had the desire to live like one? And this is the uncomfortable space we're in this morning. Everybody say, got it. Breathe easy, right? Everyone's welcome. No one's perfect. We're going to get through this. This is the uncomfortable space we're in this morning. I can't preach around it. I can't change it. James is very clear with his intentions, so let me be clear with mine. I want you to just take a few moments this morning and look inside yourself. Be honest and ask, what good is my Christianity if I make no attempt to live in a way the Bible says Christians are to live? Can, will that type of Christianity save me? That's what we're asking ourselves this morning. That's what James has asked the church all those years ago. And remember, people are the same. We just have iPhones, right? So there's no difference between who James was talking to and us this morning. So before we answer the question, let me fill in the gap so we understand really how we arrived here. This portion of the letter reveals a central theme within the letter of James. And this is why all the previous verses are full of practical advice for the Christian life. We've, we've covered some of those. Since the start of chapter 1, James has given us directives, things to do, things not to do. He has given us things to do. He has formed us about how we would know and identify those who call themselves Christian. Here's what I believe James is getting at. And I love a a quote from a book that I read about this. His name is John MacArthur. He's a pastor in California. That's what he says. James... In, this, in this, these verses, James clearly and forcefully opposes. James clearly and forcefully opposes, and I think we need to follow his example. He clearly and forcefully opposes the deception and the delusion that knowing and accepting the truth about Jesus is the same as having faith in him. We've got we to think about that for a minute. Knowing and accepting the truth is different than having a saving faith in the truth. This is going to test us this morning. This is why James is giving us a spiritual checkup. It is because there was, back then and still is today, an obvious tension within your heart and within mine and within anyone around the world who would call themselves Christian between knowing and accepting the truth about Jesus and believing and trusting in the truth about Jesus. There are two totally different things. Knowing and accepting is different than believing and trusting. This question stems from the danger that occurs when people confess Jesus with their mouths, yet Jesus is not the Lord of their life. Their lives are not slowly transformed into him or rapidly transformed into him. Right? Everybody's on a different path with God, and Jesus matures everyone at a different rate. But the idea is that if you truly believe and trust in Jesus as your Savior, he is your God, he is your all in all, your life will can slowly or rapidly or however you choose will continue to look like him. He will continue to look like Jesus. 
there was a man who lived about 700 years before Jesus. His name was Isaiah. There's a book in the Bible, somewhere over here, okay, the left side. And he wrote this down for God. He said this, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. I mean, God, this has been something God has challenged his people with since the beginning of time. Basically, God is saying, those who say they are my people can talk a good talk. They can identify when they want to. They can make themselves feel good all they want by saying it. But when it comes down to it, their heart and soul is captured by another something. Their heart and soul is captured by another someone. And then they come into church and they sing and they smile. But I will not receive that kind of worship. I will not receive it. They do it in vain. So let's stay here for a moment then. Let's think through this. Think about the difference between knowing and accepting something and believing and trusting in something. I think it's kind of like this. Again, I had a lot of time to reflect. Remember, I was off for three weeks, so I was flooded with ideas for this sermon. Okay, so stick with me. You know and accept that if you eat really spicy wings late in the evening, okay, just I told you to be patient, okay? Know and accept that if you eat really spicy wings late in the evening, you may not wake up feeling 100% the next morning, okay? That's my analogy, okay? I'm just going to say that. You see, if your actions stop at knowing and accepting the truth that those spicy wings are about to tear you up, you won't necessarily stop eating them every time they come calling your name at 1130 at night because you live next to wings, etc. It won't stop you from buying them. Why? Because knowing and accepting the truth does nothing for you. It's only when you believe and trust that you will respond differently when those wings come knocking on your door and say that you need them. If you believe those delicious little devils will do you physical harm to your body, and if you trust in the fact that your body cannot handle those wings at 1130 at night, you will not eat them. Okay? Now, some of that works, that works for some of you. Some of you are completely lost. I'm sorry, I'll try better next time. But that, that's, that's what I'm getting at. That's a very practical example. I mean, you could take that with any discipline in your life. Simply because you know and accept that that, that that is something that's there doesn't mean it'll change you. It's only when you believe and trust the information you have. That's what changes you. So let's put it in Jesus' terms, okay? Because we're at church and we should do that, all right? So... Knowing that Jesus is the sinless son of God and accepting that he sacrificially died on the cross in your place for your sin does not, will not remove God's judgment from you. Okay? Simply knowing and accepting that that truth exists will not remove God's judgment from you. you that will not save you. That's not the faith, James says, that saves just because you know of who Jesus is and you accept what he did does not save you. As James would say, this is not saving faith. It's only when you believe he is the sinless son of God and trust in his sacrificial death on the cross in your place for your sins. This is the saving faith, which moves you then, which moves you then from someone who is an enemy of God to someone who is an adopted son or daughter of God. This is a scary message, just so you're aware. Even when I read it, I was like, huh, my goodness, why, should I, why am I preaching, right? This makes you think, does it not? There is a difference between simply acknowledging the truth of something that happened and believing that that truth can change you. 
There's a difference. We've got to think through that. James, what he says in these verses, and man, I can tell you, books and arguments have been around these verses since it was written, okay? We're not entering into a new space of controversy here. James is saying that faith that saves is marked by belief and trust. Because only when you believe and trust are you moved to action. That's why he gave those examples. Only when you believe and trust are you moved to action. Now that's sort of a long introduction, okay? That's basically what the entire message is about. So let me give you the big idea this morning. Let me put this in language we can deal with here. Faith, okay? And when I say faith, let me... Let me, can I define that for you? Say yes. Good, you're still here. Faith, meaning a belief and trust in Jesus, and Jesus alone, that he is the only one who paid the debt of sin by his sacrifice on the cross. Believing that, okay? You have faith that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for your sin to be paid to God. We all owe a debt to God. Every human owes a debt to God because of our sin. And I'm saying if you have faith in Jesus, that's what you have faith in, that he is the one who paid that debt in your place. You did not earn it. It was a free gift. Faith in Jesus is designed to produce actions which validate that faith. Faith in Jesus is designed to produce actions which validates that faith. It's the same as you or I telling someone we love them. Isn't this the age-long debate between people who are dating or marriages? Maybe you're not dating. Maybe you're about to find someone to date. We can all give you a little tip here and make your relationships go better. Don't simply say, I love you, and let that be it. See, this is the same thing we're talking about, isn't it? There is a difference between someone looking you in the eye and saying, I love you, and them showing that they love you. Is there a difference, yes or no? There's a difference. I can say that I love my wife all I want. And that might make her feel good inside, because I'm a stud and she likes me. <laughs> but that will go so far, it'll last about three seconds. Here's what the trick is. I serve my wife. I lay my, wife, my life down for my wife. I put away anything that I would want to do in this life, and I give my time and devotion to her and my family. Then I only have to say I love you once a month, because all the actions take care of it. I'm just joking. <laughs> You see, but there is a difference, isn't there? And we know it in our everyday lives. We know that. We know when someone looks at us and says, I love you, we know whether they really love us or not based on what they do. Now, some of us aren't just really good at figuring out what to do. I get that, okay? So this is the big idea. Faith in Jesus is designed to produce actions which validates that faith. Then James provides the two examples about genuine saving faith. He mentions two names, Abraham and Rahab. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into the details about their stories. I'm not going to, um, but I will talk about them in a minute. So write this down. You ready? Write it down. Everybody say ready. You can read about the story James is talking about about Abraham in Genesis 22. Write that down. That's the story you can read. Read it for yourself. You can read about Rahab. Phenomenal character in the Bible in the book of Joshua chapter 2. You can read those this afternoon. I would ask you to read those. Both of these people are mentioned in James, and they're mentioned in another letter of a, a group of people who have had tremendous faith in God throughout history. Abraham and Rahab are great figures in the Bible. 
But here's what I believe why James mentioned Abraham. Abraham believed God and therefore he was saved. That's what it says. But more specifically, James tells us his actions proved his belief when he was willing to sacrifice his son to God. Now let's say you're new to church. You just walked in, never opened a Bible. I'm asking you to go read that story because what I just said is going to turn you off like crazy. Wait, he had to kill his son so God would love him? Go read it. And in fact, what I will tell you as you read that story, many people surrounded by Abraham and even the people who read Abraham's story would say that he was going to do that because he actually believed God would raise Isaac from the dead immediately. That's how much belief and trust he had in his God. Abraham believed God and therefore he was saved. But what validated his belief is that he was willing to do what God asked him to do, no matter the cost. Rahab, likewise, was a prostitute who trusted in God rather than the false gods of the land she lived in. And how did she do it? She hid two Israelite spies in her house when her whole entire city wanted to go and capture them. She hid them. Because she said, I think I need to hide you. I think I recognize who the Lord is. I think you guys should be here. I think you're about to take over our land, and I think I need to protect you. She's mentioned in James and in Hebrews of having tremendous faith. And these are the two examples of faith that lead us to our main point, right? So we have introduction, big idea. Even the faith that you have in Jesus is designed to produce actions that validate the faith. Saving faith will produce actions. And here's the main point. It caught, and here's what I think this leads down to. It costs us nothing to become a Christian. It costs us nothing to become a Christian. Some of you are hurting this week. It costs you nothing to become a Christian. It costs you nothing to be saved from your sin. It costs you nothing to be accepted by the creator of the universe. It costs you nothing to be adopted into his family. Isn't that good news? But, <laughs> some of you are like, dang, okay. But, it costs us everything to live fully as one. It costs us nothing to become a Christian. But it costs us everything to fully live as one. Let's dig into that first part. It costs us nothing to become a Christian. I really, really, really want you to know, and this is a theme that we talk about every week here, that God himself has provided a way for you to be forgiven and redeemed. He has provided the way. If you were here for the first time, second time, third time, if you've been here for a year, if you've been here for a year and a half since we've been opened, I'm going to remind you again, you can do nothing to earn God's favor and his love. He does not look down upon you and say, wow, they had a great week. I'll give him some favor. doesn't do that. You're not smart enough. Sorry. You're not good looking enough. Your deeds haven't stacked up high enough to please God. Only he has provided the way for you to be forgiven and redeemed. He has provided the way for you to be freed from the guilt and the shame that you carry around every single day. And he has provided a way for you to live in peace with him. Because he paid your debt through his son, Jesus. Amen. And the kids are having fun. It's a win today, okay? <laughs> now, now this plan of paying that debt for the sins of the world, not only yours, but anybody who would receive and accept and believe and trust in Jesus, it was decided way before you were even created. So it wasn't even like, oh, you're born? Man, you're stellar. I need you on my team. I'm going to send Jesus. That's not how it happened. This payment plan was decided on before the foundations of the world were created, before you were born, and he knew you, and he knew he was going to die for you. Isn't that good? 
the one true living God had a one plan to pay for the sins of the world. And that payment was his son, Jesus. And all who would receive him, to anyone who would believe in his name, he gives the right to be called children of God. It costs you nothing to become a Christian. Living within that truth will change your life. I need you to know that. See, that's not just knowing that, is it? Not knowing that happened doesn't change your life. Believing, believing that God chose you before the foundations of the world and that he's not going to make you earn his love, that changes how you live. It costs us nothing to become a Christian. And my desire for you is to live within that truth, to live within that grace. If you are a Christian here today, you have received grace upon grace more than you deserve. And I think we would all admit, my life is better than I deserve when I actually sit back and think about it. Yeah, times are tough. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. I get it, right? But you have deserved more than you deserve. We all have. We are all here this morning standing in the presence of God, singing to him, asking him to receive our praise, receive our prayers because of undeserved favor. Amen? I don't deserve to be here. Y'all don't deserve to be here. But he called us here, didn't he? And paid for our sin. Get this verse down. Write it down. Put it on your dashboard. Cover your speedometer so you don't feel bad about speeding. Put it on your mirror. Type it into your phone. Post it. Whatever. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Church in Ephesus received a letter, and here's what it said. For by grace you have been saved through your faith. And it is not, and it is not, and it is not of your own doing. What is it? It is a gift of God. Not a result of your works. Not a result of your works. Not a result of what you can do so that no one may boast. Everything is solely dependent on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You need to know that. Knowing, believing that, and trusting in that truth will change your life. And it's in my experience that that when I reflect on that verse, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of them, but that one specifically, when I reflect on that verse, I am given the strength I need to fight the next battle, right? I am. It's in my experience, and maybe some of you understand where I'm coming from, when I'm in the valley, right, and when I'm down low in the middle of a situation, and I realize my hard work has failed me, when I realize my intellect has gone dull, which actually happens quite quickly with me, okay? My intellect has gone dull. When I finally admit my spirit is dried up, now get this, because I've spent all my time and energy attempting to earn my place before God, When my spirit is dried up, it is in my experience that the only truth that has the power to pull me out of the pit and set me on the solid rock is these words, for by grace you have been saved. It'll change the way you view the world. It'll change the way you walk through the trials. Because they're coming, okay? Everybody say, got it. Yeah, right? This afternoon you're going to walk out and go, didn't expect that to happen. Trials are going to come. But when you know you have been chosen and loved, and secured, and redeemed, and saved by the creator of the universe, that changes you. It costs you nothing to become a Christian. Because it costs Jesus everything. God gave his one and only son. So you could be welcomed in. Now listen, I I understand that some of you are feeling, this morning I understand life has gotten you down, God seems far away. Enter any sort of phrase you want. Life is not at its best. My relationships are not working. My job is the worst place on the planet. But hear me on this. 
I need you to know this, in love, the way you feel about the world, those feelings are no match for what the word of God says over your life. The way you feel is no match for the power of God to speak truth into your life. The word of God says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The word of God says that if I started something in you, nothing in the world is going to take it from you. And if I started something in you, nothing in this world is going to steal it from you. And if I started something from you, I'll see you at the finish line. Am I good? I'll, I'll see you there. Knowing, believing, and trusting you did nothing to earn God's love. And believing and trusting that his love will never fail you will give you strength you need to fight the, every battle you have in your life. And here's why I mention this. And let me know if you agree. It's when I decide to stop trusting God, it's when I decide to stop trusting God that he will bring me through a situation. It's when I stop trusting in God that I stop living like I trust in God. My life looks different. I'm dependent on my own power. All the things I do don't work. And then I get mad because they don't work, so I try harder. I try something different. I go chase another thing or another someone or another something. We must keep our faith and trust in God. So let's go to part B. You've done nothing to earn your salvation. It costs us nothing to become a Christian, but it costs everything to fully live as one. Now, let me start with this. Becoming a person of discipline is never easy. Can I get an amen? Yeah, okay, good. It's like you don't want to agree, but you smiled, so I see you. Okay. Becoming a person of discipline is never easy. Some of us here this morning would like to be more disciplined at our work. Some of us would like to be more disciplined when it comes to our health. Some of us would like to be more disciplined when it comes to personal finances. Regardless of what you desire to become, no matter what you're trying to mature in, trying to learn, trying to change, it will always take a certain amount of personal discipline if you want to see any results. Do you agree? Good. Two of you do. We're there. Therefore, if we are to called to surrender our lives to the will of God, his will for our lives as revealed through this Bible, it will, it will, it will, re, it will require a certain level of discipline. It will require a certain level of discipline. And this is where James is getting at. Now listen, we just said it costs you nothing to become a Christian. Okay? We don't be disciplined to earn God's love. We're not disciplined so God would look down and love us. If you're a Christian, he loves you already just as much as he loves his son, Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's be secure in that. But it will cost you everything to live like Jesus. And that will take discipline. It costs nothing to become a Christian, but it costs everything to live like one. And since James tells us that faith in Jesus is dead unless, and, and it's useless to say this, okay, Unless it is marked by actions, that's what he said, it's dead. It's like looking at a man or a woman and you know they're lacking in food and warmth and saying, oh, you'll be warm and walk away and give them nothing. That's useless. Empty words. So faith without works that validate it is dead. Since James tells us that faith in Jesus is dead and it is useless to save us unless it is marked by actions which validate it, we need to take a few minutes to understand why that matters. Why does this matter? Now, I get it. I've been saved by grace. I get it. It's going to take some self-discipline to follow Jesus because the world is not our home, and there's, they're at odds with each other. The life of faith and the life of the world are against one another. We see that. We know that. 
why does this specifically matter? Why would James tell us this? You know, this amazing church, the place you're sitting in, it's not just a building, it's a people. It was started almost two years ago, okay? Almost two years. We had to come up on our second birthday here in, I believe, September. Yep, one person's excited. And, and this church was started, to be honest, with whoever would walk through those doors. Whoever would walk through those doors we desire to be honest with. We're not here only to make people happy, although it's cool to be happy, right? Love being happy. Or only to give you something different to do on Sunday morning. Listen, none of us need another something to do, right? We don't. This church was started so people who are living far from God can meet the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And then they can mature in their relationship with him. That's why this church was started. And this is why, because it's why it matters and why we were started, because we want to be honest about the human condition. Leave this place today, and nobody will tell you that you're sinful. No book you can read. You go outside of the church to try to find God, and they'll actually tell you you don't need him because you're fine on your own. We are honest about the human condition that although we are created in the image of God, Although we were created to reflect his beauty and his glory, we are fallen and we are sinful. We are unable to live in a relationship with our creator. Here's why. Because the light of his goodness will never not be stained, will not be stained with the darkness of our sin. Our sin separates us from God. And no matter how hard we try, there's nothing a sinful soul can do to earn your way back into the presence of God. There's nothing you can do. If your salvation was left up to you, you'll never be saved. If the final decision for salvation of sinful people were left in the hands of sinful people, we would only despair all hope that anybody would be saved. That's R.C. Sproul, pastor that died earlier this year. So why does this matter? Because the Bible says that all who do not turn from their sin will face God's righteous, final, eternal judgment. Sinners will face the wrath of God. Now that will do two things to your heart right now. If you're a Christian, you'll be super happy you're not going to face eternal punishment because of what Jesus did for you. Amen? It will give you a burden for people who don't know Jesus. Listen, church, I want it to crush you that there are people that you will leave here today and see that don't know Jesus. Because this isn't a social club to make us feel better. This is what God has said to his word, that Jesus is coming again, and the wrath of God will destroy sinners. That is the truth of the Bible. So we didn't come here only to make people happy. We didn't come here only to get them something awesome to do on Sunday mornings. We need to be honest about the human condition, that the judgment of God is upon every sinner unless unless they are found to be within Jesus Christ, unless they believe and trust for his salvation. And that's the good news, because the God-man, Jesus Christ, who came to the earth on a rescue mission, he came to the earth to call all the sinful rebels to himself, including me first. I'm the worst of anybody in here. Just believe it, okay? He came to the earth on a rescue mission to call sinful rebels to himself so that all who would look upon him and believe in his name and trust in the work that he accomplished, you will be saved. This is good news. Let's do some recap. Let's do some recap before the application. 
big question is, can faith without works save you? We're not earning our salvation by talking about these things. We just learn that what we do in this life should be an outworking of what we believe, just like anything else. If you love someone, you should act like you love them. Can I get an amen? Okay, cool. If, you're, if you don't come to church a lot, amen is like, yeah, that's cool kind of phrase. Okay, so that's the question. The big idea is then faith in Jesus is designed to produce actions which validate that faith. Because this is a living word. Jesus is a real living God and his spirit is active in your life. It will transform you into the image of his son. God's spirit will transform you into Jesus if you believe and trust in him. It's inevitable. Three, the main point is, it costs us nothing to become a Christian, but it costs us everything to fully live as one. As hard as that sounds, that is the truth. And it matters because, it matters because it is really possible for us to be self-deceived when it comes to our faith. It is possible to be deceived between the difference of knowing and accepting and believing and trusting. There's a deception there. So let's move on to applying this. So if you go, whew, okay, didn't expect that at church. I want to be happy. Listen, there is good news. I think we've talked about it. If you leave here today, what am I to do? What am I to think? What do I do with this? I am wrestling with whether I know and accept or believe and trust. I, I am. I guess sitting here today, I, I don't quite know. I guess sitting here today, there are things that I know that God would not approve of. Approve of. There are things that I know that if I do them, they're destroying my life. There are things and ways I act, I know that are wrong because God has written it on my conscience, yet I think I'm a Christian. What do I do with that, right? Isn't that the tension we all live in? Let me give some things to think about. We're going to move to applying this to our lives. And here's what I'll do to stay true to what James says. We're going to apply some things that we can do today, 2018, but we're going to use the spirit of Abraham and Rahab. Can we do that? We're going to use the spirit and how, what their actions meant, because that, those are the examples James used. And we'll sort of glean from the, the spirit of what they did, and we'll try to apply it to our life today. Okay? So like Abraham and Rahab, I believe they did four things, but I'm going to put them in our current language. Okay? I believe, right? So belief and trust in Jesus will result. Here's the first one. Belief and trust in Jesus will result in a desire to know who he is. That's Abraham and Rahab. Abraham specifically. God said, Abraham, I'm going to take you, I'm going to give you a bunch of kids, and I'm going to create a new people out of you. And Abraham believed in that God, and that God gave him the righteousness he needed to be saved. He's the first one God called out of anywhere to do this. And Abraham spent the rest of his life getting to know God. Belief and trust in Jesus will result in a desire to know who he is. Now here's my worry, okay? Here's my worry. I am worried that some of us have been saved to a Jesus we don't even know. I'm worried all around the world that people are saved to a Jesus who they'll never get to know. So if you're a Christian, there's the valley where you don't want to know who Jesus is, right? Sometimes you wake up and go, Christianity, blah, right? We have those, okay? Just be honest with yourself. Everyone's welcome. No one's perfect. We have those days. What I'm asking you to do is fall, fail forward, okay? I'm asking you to lean in when you have those days. I'm asking you to fail forward and get back up and realize that the grace of God is still upon you. But if you are a belief, if you believe and trust in who Jesus is, you will desire to know who he is in some way. That means coming to church. That means reading your Bible. That means praying. That means being around other people who know Jesus so they can support you and encourage you. Those are ways you get to know who Jesus is. 
Second, you ready for the second one? Say yep. Yes, yes. Okay, two. Belief and trust in Jesus will result in a desire to, in a desire to serve his church. Rahab, man. The city that Rahab lived in, no one knew God. Two people who knew God showed up. She get put her life on the line to hide them. Read that story in Joshua 2. James lifts her up as an example of faith. The writer of Hebrews lifts her up as an example of faith. Belief and trust in Jesus will result in a desire to serve his church. Right? So Jesus gave himself, all of himself, of who he was to build his church. And so should we. All of our time, not all, yeah, maybe time, talent, and treasure. When you're saved by God, he sends you out on a mission, doesn't he? He sends you out on a mission to go find other sinful rebels and say, whew, me and you, we're just alike. Here's the difference. God saved me. I want you to meet him. What do I got to wear? I don't care. What do I got to look like? I don't care. But I don't belong there. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because if I belong in this place, so do you. Amen? Belief and trust in Jesus will result and a desire to serve his church. And yeah, I could say, show up and do coffee. I'm not tailoring it to what we need here. Serving Jesus' church means going on a mission for him and telling people about him. Serve his church with your time. Give of who you are as a talent, and give of your treasures. Third, belief and trust in Jesus will result in the continual surrender of your life. This is a big one. Belief and trust in Jesus, true saving faith, will result in the continual surrender of your life. Here's the truth. We are not our own. We belong to God. You are not your own. You belong to God because he has bought you with a price, his son. And so each day is another opportunity to wake up and give your fears, your anxieties, your anger, your need to control, and the plans you have made for your life, give them over to a God who cares for you far more than you care for yourself, just so you know. Give all that over to God. He cares for you far more than you care for yourself, and I think we can trust him. Now, those are sort of three things that we do, right? And here's a weird thing that, that I think I struggle with. I don't want to give you a list of things to do, so you'll think if you do those things, you'll be acting like a Christian, because that would be totally opposite of what I just said. Because we don't earn our salvation. I'm saying if you do those things, if you desire to do those things, I think that you believe and trust in Jesus. If you don't desire to do any of that, if you haven't done any of that, I am not saying you are not a Christian. What I am saying is you're either an immature Christian who is learning what it looks like, or you're deceived. It's only one of the two things. Or you're in a valley. There's another option. Life is hard. Then again, I want you to fail forward and rely on God's grace to lift you up. There are times where life will be dark. That is completely normal, believe me. We are not perfect people. We never will be. But it's desire in your heart. The Bible says that all those who believe and trust in Jesus are born again. They have a new spirit. Therefore, God starts to do a new work in your life. Things will be different. I'm going to give you one more. I'm going to give you one more. It's not necessarily a thing. Um, I think it's your attitude towards life. A belief and trust in Jesus will encourage you to fail forward. Say it one more time. Because it's, it's not like 
maybe some of us, let, let's say we look at this list and we go, yeah, I care for his church. I mean, yeah, I tell my friends about Jesus. Yeah, I, I serve. Yeah, I, I trust him. I'm trying to give things over that I have control over to God and let him work in my life. But I don't like my life. <laughs> right? Anybody feel like that today? Here's what I ask you to do. A belief in trusting Jesus. That life won't be in the pit forever. He'll lift you out of that. It's your desire to fail forward. That when you're down that far, that low in the pit, that you look up and you cry out to God like we did at our prayer time and say, I'm nobody without you. I've tried it on my own. Will you remind me once again of who you are? And will you lift me up? This is a spiritual checkup today. It was super uncomfortable when I wrote it, <laughs> okay? It may be uncomfortable to receive it. I edited and edited and then rewrote and rewrote because this is some of the hardest stuff the Bible has to offer because it questions our entire life. Let me tell you, let's say you leave here today and you're kind of depressed and you're like, well, I guess I don't know the answer. Let us walk with you. Can we do that? Let us walk with you. Grab a card, write your number, tell us to contact you. We're no better than you. We just want to point you to Jesus. Here's the other thing. Would you please remain in the grace of God? Would you remind yourself of that? Write it down anywhere you need. Remain in the grace of God. Listen, we've tried it on our own. I know we all have, and it doesn't work. So I'm calling you to put your belief and trust in a God who cares far more for you than you care for yourself. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for, for these words. God, as a minister of the gospel and as someone who preaches and teaches, I know I am held to a higher standard. That's what your word says.